Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, just a real joy and a privilege to uh, spend a Sunday with you. And I, I really do consider it a privilege to be uh, part of your missions month. Uh, you, you've had some, some really great people in here uh, over the course of this month. Um, servants of God who are carrying on the work of uh, the kingdom in different parts of the world. And uh, in all seriousness, I consider it a great privilege to be a part of, of that uh, group of people and um, consider it a great privilege to be a part of uh, this church and the work that uh, you guys are doing here in Jacksonville as well as all across the world. So. Uh, as you can see, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 15, so I invite you to find uh, Romans chapter 15 in your text. We're actually going to go to Deuteronomy 8 first, though, so if you want to hold Romans 15, that's going to be our focus, but we're going to look at a passage in uh, Deuteronomy 8. Oh, man, I forgot, I forgot my glasses. <laughs> ah, okay, very good, very good. Okay, got, got my glasses. That's better. Oh, man, I forgot my Bible. Uh, two, you know, really important things. Now, you know, I, I, I forgot my glasses and, and I forgot my Bible. Am I the only one that forgets things? Yeah? Okay, well. I mean, I, I think we've, we've all forgotten things in the course of our lives. We all have done that enough that scientists have actually done studies on things that people forget. Um, now, I forgot my glasses and my Bible, although I forgot them on purpose, so I don't know if that really counts as forgetting, but we've all forgotten things, and um, studies have been done on things that people forget. Um, see if you can identify with any of these things. People forget names. Ever been caught in a situation like that where you see somebody and you forget their name? They remember your name, which always makes it pretty uncomfortable. Anyone remember the Seinfeld show where somebody comes up to him and, Jerry! And he doesn't remember their name and he goes, You! <laughs> we all know that feeling of forgetting names. Uh, where something is, you know? And then what, what, what's, the, what's the advice that people have for that? Well, go out of the room, walk back into the room, and maybe you'll forget where or remember where it is. Nah, I don't know who came up with that solution, but it doesn't work. Uh, telephone numbers. Anybody on with that one? I used to be a crack shot at telephone numbers. I used to be able to just have a person's name pop into my head and I would know their number. Particularly here in Jacksonville when I was here years and years ago uh, there was only one prefix 586 and then it was just four numbers after that. I had everybody's number in my head. Now with the advent of cell phones and smartphones, I don't know my phone number. <laughs> I don't need to know my phone number, right? Because it's in my phone. I just Seriously, I don't know Melanie's phone number. I don't know Hope's phone number. I don't know Candace's phone number, but they're in my phone. I can... Words. Oh, man, I know the word for that. I just can't remember what it is. Now, that gets really bad when you're in the process of studying a different language. And now I'm, I'll get to where I know something in Spanish, and I'm going, what's the English word for that? What is... What is the English word for that? I have no idea. Um, what someone said. Ooh, talk about one that will get you in trouble. Well, I think they said, and then here's where we really get in trouble, is when we make, we can't remember what they said, but we make up what they said, and we tell somebody else what we think somebody said. It's not what they said, and then it gets back around what we said that they said, and... We've got real problems, relational problems, right? When we forget what someone said. Forgetting, I mean, it's just, it's just a human issue. We all deal with that reality in our lives. But forgetting is not just a human issue, it's a spiritual issue. 
It is a real issue with the people of God. I said we were going to look at Deuteronomy. Uh, turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and I just want to point out um, a passage of Scripture you, you, you ought to really, really know because this is so true of all of God's people. Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 28 are two chapters in the Old Testament that theologically, I think, have tons to say to us. God's people when they were on the verge of moving into the promised land, when God had brought them out of Egypt and now he was ready to take them into the land of Canaan, Moses sat them down. And he had some things to say to them. And I just want you to notice the the theme of Deuteronomy 8. Notice what he says in verse 2. What's the first word there? Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Now, Now, Israel, don't forget that God kept you alive in the desert for 40 years. Remember that. Look at verse 10. Now, when you go into the land and when you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good that he has given you and be careful that what? You do not forget. See, he's the one that kept you alive in the desert and once you get into the land and you begin to prosper and you begin to eat the fruit of the land... Don't what? Don't forget. Don't forget that it's God who brought you here. Don't forget to be obedient, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Look at verse 14. When your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will what? Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Uh, Look at verse 18. But what? Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Look at verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify that God's going to deal with that in you. What do you think the main idea of Deuteronomy 8 is? (laughs) Don't forget. Remember the Lord your God. Because in the process of living life, we have a tendency, just a human tendency, and this is true of the people of God, there's a human tendency to take credit for how God has blessed us. And it's so abundantly clear in this text that God says, don't forget, it's even God who has given you the capacity to work and to make the wealth that you have accumulated. It's God that gave you the strength. It's God that gave you the capacities. It's God that gave you your mind. It's God that gave you your health. It's God that has given you everything. Don't forget him, but come proud and puffed up and think, it's all about me. So forgetting is not just a human reality, it's a spiritual issue. God's people, unfortunately, are often plagued with short memories. Now, our text today is Romans chapter 15. So that's where we're going to focus most of our attention this morning, Romans chapter 15. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul begins to conclude his letter to the Roman church. And remember that this is a church that Paul has has never visited. He doesn't know the people there. He's written to them. And remember that it's a church that is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. This is a a church that that God has brought together the people of his covenant, the old covenant, and the people of the new covenant. And he's brought them together in this one church. There's a a structure that we need to um, kind of get in our minds in in, in terms of how Romans 14 is is built. In in, in Romans, Romans 15, verses 14 to 22, Paul gives us his purpose for writing. And that is to remind the Romans 
of some things and explain his ministry. That's what he's doing in verses 14 to 22. He is reminding the Romans of some things that they need to be reminded of, and he's explaining his ministry, basically giving a report and telling them what he's doing, what he's about in the work of the kingdom. And then in verses 23 to 33, there are plans for travel. Paul Paul is telling them his plans for traveling to come and see them, and he requests prayer from them. So let's read the first section here. The purpose for writing the letter, and the reminder and the explanation of his ministry. Verses 14 to 22. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be be a minister of the grace because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might be an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, or however you say that, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why... I've been hindered from coming to you. Basically saying, I haven't been able to get there to see you guys yet because I've been busy. I've been really busy. All the way from Jerusalem to Elycrium, I've been taking the gospel to the Gentiles. It's what God called me to do, and that's what I've been about. So in this passage, Paul is reminding the Roman church of some things. He says that in verse 15. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. We often need reminders, don't we? To help us remember because we're so prone to forget. God's people are plagued with short memories and we need reminders and reminders serve the function of reminding us. Whether it's tying strings around our fingers or putting post-it notes all over our books and Bibles and faces and chins and everywhere, we need reminders to remind us. Reminders remind us. That's what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 15. He, He tells the Roman church, I'm writing to remind you of some things. But Paul wasn't the only one who reminded his readers of some things. In in, in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, Peter says this, Therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things long after I'm gone. Peter's just really, really clear here, isn't he? I'm reminding you of things you already know. And it's, it's right that I do this. It's right that I remind you so that you don't forget like the nation of Israel did. And by the way, Deuteronomy 8, Moses told the nation of Israel, don't do this. Don't forget God when you get in the land. Now, years later, what happened? Did they listen to Moses or did they forget? We need to be reminded. So what I want to do this morning is I want to make Paul's purpose for writing his letter my purpose for this sermon. 
He wrote to remind. And what I want to do this morning is speak to remind. I want to remind us all of some things that we already know. You're not going to hear anything new this morning. You're not going to hear anything revolutionary, mind-blowing. Oh my gosh, now the church has finally discovered this. I'm going to remind you of what you already know but we have such a tendency to forget in the busyness of life so oftentimes. So sit back and relax and prepare yourself to be underwhelmed by nothing new. (laughs) Reminders remind us. What do they tell us? Well, first of all, reminders remind us that the truth is unchanging, and novelty is dangerous. The truth is unchanging, and novelty is dangerous. The fact that Paul and Peter and even God, because God reminds us too, doesn't he? Just give you a couple of examples. Every time it rains, and we look up into the sky, what do we see? What, what, what function does that have? from from Genesis chapter 9, what function does that have? To remind all of us that every time we look at that, God has made a promise never again to destroy the world by a flood. It's a rainbow reminder. Every time that that we eat the bread and drink the cup, what is the function of that? to help us not forget. Do this in what? Memory of me. So God gives us reminders. I mean, he understands that we need to break the bread and drink the cup so that we don't forget, we never forget what was done on the cross for us. Paul reminds us. Peter reminds us. God reminds us. And the very fact that here Paul is reminding the Romans is instructive. The truth is the truth and it never changes. Now every generation, including ours, every generation wants to be modern. And every generation wants to be innovative. Every generation wants to discover new stuff. And it's true that we have new gadgets. It's pretty cool. I can... This is pretty cool that I can fancy all my slides from this little bitty instrument. We got new gadgets, but you know what? The truth hasn't changed. This is still the Word of God. This is still the Bible. This is still God's revelation of Himself to us, and that has not changed and it never will. Man is still fallen and in need of salvation. That's still the truth. Salvation is found only in Jesus. That's the truth and it will never change. And this salvation that is found only in Jesus is for everyone of all nations. That's always been the truth, and it always will be the truth. The truth doesn't change. And Paul is reminding them of things that they already know, one of which is the truth is unchanging. And novelty is dangerous. Here are a couple of old examples of what we try to do in our new world. These examples are old, but they're biblical in, in the book of Acts. Now... All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now that's old, but that sounds really modern, doesn't it? You got all these guys just sitting around, just contemplating something new. And have you noticed that within our culture, I guess, you know, I sound old because of what I'm about to say. Have you noticed that anything modern and new is good, but anything old, it's old. 
It's not hip. I'm, I'm, I'm too old to even do hip anymore. The truth is the truth. We don't need anything new. And we got all kinds of stuff out there in the world, within the Christian world even. New, novel, have you heard this? Have you read this? Are, are, you, are, you, in, are you in touch with the latest fad within the Christian movement? Come on. The only fad we need is go, therefore, to all nations and preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to be obedient to everything I've commanded you, and, hey, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. I mean, that's it. And we think we've discovered all this new way to do it. Just do it. Another old example of what we try to do in our new world in Galatians. Paul writes this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach other than the one we, than we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now, that's pretty strong language. If someone comes along and preaches to you any gospel other than the one that was delivered to you, Paul says, let them be under God's curse. Now, that's verse 8. Here's the amazing thing. Now, you can put that in your own vernacular. There is a way to say, let them be under God's curse, that is much stronger than you would be comfortable with me saying. But just the... If you've got your Bible open to Galatians or read it later, you'll, you'll see that, that he says in verse 9, if you didn't hear me right the first time, I'm going to say it again. Let them be under God's curse. And, and, and what's the problem? Well, we, we've got the gospel here, but somebody's trying to come along and reinvent it. Give it a new twist, a new spin to make it more palatable, more, more culturally con comfortable and convenient for people to hear. And Paul just says, just preach the gospel. Don't be drawn away. Is, is everybody with me? We got so many fads anymore out in the Christian world. It, it, it used to, to frustrate me that I couldn't keep up with them all. I don't even care anymore. Because really, it just needs to come back to the gospel. We don't need new truth. We have the gospel, and it's still good news. And if we try to change the gospel, to try to modernize it, to try to contemporize it, to make it more comfortable, more palatable, we run the risk of distorting the gospel. And Paul reminds us that truth is unchanging, and novelty is dangerous. Let's just stick with the gospel. Something else Paul tells us in this passage is he reminds us. Paul reminds us that believers are capable and responsible. Believers are capable and responsible. Now I want you to notice that the word that's capitalized, at least in my main point, is believers. Not pastors. Not shepherds. Not professionals, believers. Paul isn't writing to the pastors of the church at Rome. He's writing to the saints, the believers of the church of Rome. And in verse 14, he both commends them and he holds them accountable. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge... That's his commendation. You guys are doing great. But he holds them accountable where he says, and you're competent to instruct one another. Believers are both capable and responsible. His commendation is that they're capable and mature, full of goodness, filled with knowledge. You know, I've noticed a, another human tendency 
other than just the one that we have a tendency to forget. I don't know, have you noticed this too? There's privilege and responsibility. And with privilege comes responsibility. But where do we, gra- where do we gravitate as humans? Do we gravitate toward privilege or responsibility? Show me the way to privilege. Show me the way. Clear the path. Oh, but with that privilege comes responsibility to use that privilege. Oh, or translated into Spanish. Oh. Yeah, we're not nearly as interested in responsibility as we are in privilege, are we? But God has gifted you and made you as believers capable and therefore responsible. Their capacity has some implications. Since you are capable, you are responsible. You're full of goodness. You're full of knowledge and therefore competent to instruct one another. The work of ministry is not reserved for professionals. The work of ministry is reserved for every member of the body of Christ. That's what Paul has told us. Just flip back. I bet it's just one flip of your page. Flip back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul has not stuttered here. Paul has told the Roman church in Romans chapter 12 that they've been gifted. Notice what he says in verse 3. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to how many of you? Help me out. How many? Uh, my text reads... To some of you? Do I, do I have a bad text? <laughs> it doesn't say some of you, does it? For by the grace given to me, I say to, everybody say it with me, every one of you. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as how many of us? Again, everyone or each of us, not some of us, but each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. But how many have gifts? Each of us. All of us. We have different gifts. One might be prophecy. Then use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. Teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, let him encourage. Contributing to the needs of others, do it generously. If it's leadership, then govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. The point he's making is every one of us have been gifted, and therefore every one of us have a responsibility to deploy that gift, to use that gift for the good of the body. Capable and responsible. I I think Paul's idea looks something like this. You're full of goodness, and you're full of knowledge, and therefore, what? You are able to admonish. Another way to look at it is, they had the right motives, plus the right information, equals what? Capacity. If you've got the right information and you've got the right motives, then you are capable of ministering to the lives of others. You know what? This church does not just lie in the hands of Graham and the elders. It's in your hands. You're capable. If you've got the right motives, if you're full of goodness, then you need the right information. You need to avail yourself of every opportunity to learn the scriptures here on Sunday morning at Fellowship Bible University, 
in, in equipping classes, in every conceivable way. You need what? The right information. You need to be full of knowledge of God's Word. And then you need to have the right motives. And when you have the right motives and the right information, then you need to be serving other people in this body. Counseling, comforting, listening. If your gift is listening, it's not listed in there, but none of the the, the gift lists are exhaustive. But if if your gift is listening and caring and showing mercy then listen well. Whatever it is God has called you to do, do it. Reminders remind us that the truth is unchanging and novelty is dangerous, that believers are capable and responsible. Paul also reminds us in this passage that God's purposes are Christ-centered and eternal. God's purposes are Christ-centered and eternal. Now remember that what, what Paul is doing in this passage, in this text, and particularly in verses 14 to 22, is writing this letter to explain his ministry to the Roman church. He wants the Romans to understand what he's been doing all these years. And what he's been doing all these years is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Did you notice how many times in these these verses he just said that? I'm bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. God has given me this ministry to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to make the gospel known where it's not been known. My my job is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And, And what Paul is doing here in this text is also not just saying, this is what God called me to do. He's also saying, and this is consistent with God's eternal purposes. So two things. God's purposes are Christ-centered and they are eternal. First, they're Christ-centered. Jesus is the focus. Jesus receives the attention. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the point. Now, I I want us to notice something here. I want us to notice, this this is a very, very Trinitarian text. The Trinity is all through this text, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. For instance, in verse 30, notice that all the persons of the Trinity are found in verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Right? So you see all three there, right? You see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Spirit. The Father, in order to focus a little bit, the Father, in verse 15, is the one who gave Paul his ministry. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me. The Father gave it to him. In verse 17, his service is for God. Therefore, I glorify in Christ Jesus, in my service to God, the Father. The Spirit's seen here in distinction. In verse 16, he is the one who sanctifies believers, right? Toward the end of the verse, it's the Spirit who sanctifies believers. In verse 19, it's the Spirit who gives Paul power for his ministry, right? Everybody see that with me? I'm not making this up, right? All three are found in verse 30. God is the one who gave Paul his ministry. He he does his service for God. It's the Spirit who sanctifies believers. It's the Spirit who gives Paul his power. But Jesus is the focus of this passage. Jesus is the focus. Verse 16, Paul is a, a minister of Christ. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. It's the gospel of Christ in verse 19 that he preaches. I have fully proclaimed from Jerusalem to Elycrium the gospel of, of Christ. In verses 20 to 21, he doesn't want to do anything other than preach what? Preach who? Christ. Jesus is the focus. 
The Bible is clear that Jesus is the focus or the center point of all that we do. Is the Trinity important? Yes. But who is the focus? Jesus. Now, this is important. This isn't just, oh, theology. No, this is important. This will save you. If, if, if you get a hold of this, this will save from some deception that is rampant in the world. Now, I want to demonstrate that Jesus is the focus. Not just from this passage, but from other passages as well. In John chapter 16, verses 12 to 14, the very work of the Spirit is to point to Jesus. Here's what Jesus said when he was telling the disciples that he was leaving. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive uh, what he will make known to you. Did you catch that? When the Spirit comes, he will what? Glorify Jesus. Two weeks ago, we were in Chinandega, Nicaragua, which is where you guys are going in November. But we were teaching the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I want to demonstrate, I just want to bodily demonstrate to you the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I, I can do it real easily, real easy. You ready? Here's, here's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit right here. Everybody with me? Who's he pointing to? He's pointing to Jesus. Does that text say that or not? See, here's what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. You ready? Here's what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. This is not the posture of the Holy Spirit. You with me? Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. What a blessing to have the Holy Spirit living and indwelling within us, empowering us, guiding us, comforting us. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to Now, if if you'll I'm going to let the implications of that just settle in on you. But if you'll get a hold of that reality, it will save you from a lot of distortion and deception and twisted and distorted theology that is in the world today where the Holy Spirit is the focus the Holy Spirit is not the focus. Jesus is the focus, and the Holy Spirit's job is... Si o no? Si. Por supuesto, gracias. Sin duda. Sin duda. Not only is the Holy Spirit's... The, the work of the Holy Spirit to point to Jesus. Jesus is the focus of sanctification. Who are we growing to be more like? Jesus. Paul says this in, in Colossians 1. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone, what? Fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus. He's the point, and the Holy Spirit's just going. And He's living inside me. He's living inside me. And every now and then, not every now and then, very, very often, not very often, all the time, He is going, Jim, Jim, that's like you. You need to be more like Him. Todos están conmigo. See, I got a couple of Spanish speakers. Everybody with me. The, hour, the honor and the authority of Christ that, that, that God puts on Jesus. I mean, it's, it's so clear here in, in Ephesians. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power to us, uh, for us who believe him. 
This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of high honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. He is made full and complete. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I don't know how much more glorious you could make Jesus Christ than that passage right there. God has put all authority under him. He's the point of it all. God's purposes are Christ-centered. And if it's not focused on Jesus, I'm not interested. And God's purposes are eternal. God's purpose is to exalt and magnify and glorify Jesus the Son. And that's always been God's purpose. It's always been God's purpose. That's why Paul quotes here Isaiah chapter 52. If you look at verse 21, it's a quotation. I, I hope that in your text it's laid out in such a way that you see that it's set apart, that it's a quote. It's a quote from Isaiah. And what Paul is doing here in quoting this, those who are not told about him, the servant that will come, will see Those who have not heard will understand. And what Paul is doing by quoting this Old Testament text is simply saying, guys, what I'm doing now, Roman church, what I'm doing now by proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles is what God has always had in mind. It's what Isaiah prophesied, and I'm simply doing what Isaiah prophesied. Those who have not heard about him will hear about him. And I'm a part of that, Paul's saying. Paul sees himself as a participant in God's eternal work of bringing Jesus to all nations. To make Jesus known everywhere. Paul reminds us that the truth is unchanging and novelty is dangerous. That believers are both capable and responsible. That God's purposes are Christ-centered and eternal. They don't change. He also reminds us that ministry involves personal focus and an attitude of worship. In the process of explaining his ministry to the Romans, Paul reminds us how we should view ministry. And one of the things that Paul tells us in this passage is that for him, it had a very, very personal focus. What was Paul's focus? Paul knew what he was about. Paul knew what his focus was. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. How was he going to do that? Evangelize them, edify them, and establish churches. That was his focus, right? I mean, over and over in this text, he said, God has called me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's my focus. He wasn't confused. So he said, that's what I've been doing, guys. I mean, the reason that I haven't been able to come visit you is because I've been busy. I've been busy doing what God called me to do, which is take the gospel to the Gentiles. So all the way from Jerusalem to that weird-sounding city, all around that, that's where I've been. It's what I've been doing. He had a focus. But Paul's focus is not everyone's focus. I have a focus. You have a focus. For many years, for almost 30 years, my focus used to be be a pastor. And I thought that was my lifelong focus be a pastor. Teach the scriptures. Love people. Lead people to love Jesus. That was my focus. That's not my focus anymore. There are things that I miss about it. There are things I don't miss about it. But it's it's not my focus anymore. For almost 30 years, my focus 
was be a pastor. God changed my focus several years ago. My focus now, and, and, and I'm clear on this, I, I, there's, there's not a lot of confusion with a lot of, well, what am I going to do? I know my, my focus is train pastors. Equip leaders. Raise up a new generation of leaders. Take what you've been given and pass it on to others. And right now, I... Right now, without a shadow of a doubt, my focus is Latin America. Could God change that? You know what? For 30 years, I thought that was my focus. Right now, I'm pretty convinced my focus is trained pastors and leaders in Latin America because the need is so tremendously great. But God could change that. I've got invitations on the table now to come to Africa to duplicate what we've done in Latin America. And I've said, you know, I, I can't do that. I, I can't. Because my focus right now is Latin America. God has blessed us. So Paul is reporting. So I'll, I'll do some reporting on what, what God's been able to do with us over the last couple of years. You guys know we spent the first year in language school learning Spanish. Ojalá es mejor. I hope it's better than it was when I first began. We began working in Nicaragua in the late 1990s. 1998 was my first trip. And we saw the great need of establishing training for pastors we began a Bible institute. God bless that. Now we have eight different Bible institutes in Nicaragua and eight different cities and locations. We have three in Costa Rica now. We have one in Panama. Really cool thing. I just got an invitation to begin a year-long school to help train young, young pastors and leaders within the city of within the city of Costa Rica. It's such a great opportunity. I don't know how I'm going to pull it off. It's going to be an administrative nightmare because I've got to keep up now with eight locations in Nicaragua, three in Costa Rica, and one in Panama, and do this year-long school. But you know what? God's able to do that. Within those... What's eight, three, and one? Is that 12? I never was good at math. We've got right now, and we need more, Right now, we need more churches, but we have seven U.S. churches that are mobilized. We're training somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 pastors within a year. We've probably mobilized people within these churches of upwards of 100 people every year that get mobilized and come. God's doing some neat stuff, God, and you're part of it. You're part of it. That's almost all my report. I'll save a little bit for in a minute. Paul tells us what he did. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his focus. I have a focus. Now let me ask you a question. You know what the question is, don't you? You know what the question is. What's your focus? What's your focus? Mine's not Paul's, and yours is probably not mine. But what is it that God has called you uniquely to do? Well, that's not my thing. Great, you know what? My thing's not your thing. What is your thing? And whatever your thing is, thing it. Thing it for Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. Just do it. What's your focus? And Paul tells us not only what he did, he tells us how he saw his ministry. It's interesting. I, I, I just studied this, this passage because um, I was 
invited to, to preach it about three months ago, and I had to do it in Spanish. So it's fun to actually preach it in English now. But I, I began to study this, this, this text in detail for the first time several months ago, and, and I saw something that just really stood out at me, and that is the way Paul viewed his ministry. Look at verse 16. He says that he sees himself in this ministry work that he's doing. He sees it as a what? A priestly duty. The grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering acceptable to God. And that word offering and that priestly duty, both those terms are, are Old Testament liturgical terms for priesthood. They're priesthood terms. Paul saw himself in doing his ministry as a priest. Now, what do you think of when you think of priest? Some holy dude wearing weird clothes and a turban, right? Some special class of people who serve God. And part of that understanding is correct. Priests serve God. But priests are not a special class of people. Now, demonstrate that. There was a certain amount of, or, or a certain group of people that, that God had called and set apart to the priesthood within the nation of Israel. But the reality is God called the entire nation to be priests. They were to be a nation of priests. Who are we as believers? Who are we? We're priests. We're priests. Every one of us are priests. We stand between men and God. And we mediate. We bring men to God. Right? You know what a priest does? And we're all priests. I, f I find Paul's theology of pr the priesthood just in Romans really, really interesting. In, in Romans chapter 12, we, we probably all know this verse by heart. Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, your act of worship. I beseech you, brothers, I beg you, brothers, that we present our bodies as what? Living sacrifices. We are sacrifices, Paul says. We are sacrifices. We bring ourselves as sacrifices. God, here I am, use me. But that's not all he says about this whole sacrifice and priesthood thing. In Romans 15, in our text, what he says is we bring sacrifices. He says that in verse 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with my priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God for what purpose? So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. At the end of it, what Paul wants to do is say, God, you've called me to be a priest. Here's my sacrifice. The Gentiles. I, I put them before you and I say... God, for all the work that I've done, here's what I offer you. Here's what I'm bringing you. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. We are all priests. And we have the privilege of serving God's purposes. Are you serving? What sacrifices are you going to offer at the end of it? When it's all said and done, what are you going to bring? Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to bring? Certainly. You ought to bring your children. At the end of it, 
When you stand before the Father, you ought to say, Father, here are my children. I offer them to you. I've poured my life into them, and, and, and I give them to you. This is my offering to you. I'm a new grandfather, and I just left my grandchildren. Three glorious days to be able to just hug and kiss and play. And I feel a responsibility now to say, Father, I know they're primarily Mark and Candace's, but for my part, I want to offer you not just my kids, but my grandchildren. Here they are. And I know when I get to heaven, there are going to be some people that I'm going to be able to say, God, here. Here's Melvin Losa. Here's Melvin. 17 years old when I met him. Barely spoke English. Grew up, committed himself to learning the scriptures and, 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 and getting good with his English, and we made him a translator. Now he's a professor. Now he teaches along with us. And, and I know, I know that other people have played a part in his life, but I know that I can stand before God one day and go, God, here's Melvin. Who, who will you present to the Father as a sacrifice? You're a priest. You're a priest. What are you going to do? Misplace my glasses. Final point. Reminders remind us that the truth is unchanging and novelty is dangerous. Believers are capable and responsible. The purposes of God are Christ-centered and eternal. And ministry involves personal focus and an attitude of worship. And finally, he reminds us that God's people share and pray. We see that in verses 23 to 33. And Paul tells them what he's planning on doing in terms of making his journey from where he is to have to go back to Jerusalem, but one day he wants to come and share time with them. He said that in verse 24, assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I want to share some time with you, but now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. For, for Macedonia, verse 26, and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So there's sharing going on here. God's people share. Paul wants the Roman church to feel like they're a part of the ministry that he's involved in. And he tells them he wants to visit them and share time with them in verse 24. He wants the Gentile Roman believers to share financial resources with their Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. And why should the Gentiles send money to Jerusalem? He says, you should share your financial resources with those who have shared their spiritual resources with you. If they have brought you to the gospel, if they have brought the news of salvation to you, if they have shared spiritual blessings with you, your obligation now is to turn around and share financially with them. See, it's all about sharing. I knew you were going to get to money. Yeah, here's what I want to say about money. I want to say thank you. That's what I want to do, is say thank you. I want to say thank you to this church for supporting our ministry. Just like you support the ministries of, of those who have been here the other weeks of this month. Thank you from Jim and Melanie. I want to say thank you to many of you individually and personally who support our ministry. We're trying our best to be worthy of your confidence, and we're trying our best to make your money go as far as it can possibly go. I just want to say thanks. The point that Paul is making here is share what you have. First thing he talks in there, it's just sharing time. Have you got time to share? 
I, I know this about any church. There are people in this church body that are hurting. And right now, I just know about a couple of situations. You can share time, can't you? That's what Paul says. I just want to come and I just want to hang out. I just want to come and, and share some time with you guys. Can you share time? Invest. Share. Can you share money? For those of you that God has, has blessed with the capacity to, to make money, share, invest. Look for ways to be involved in kingdom purposes. Share. Can, can you share the gospel? Do you have the good news? Has it been shared with you? Share that. God's people share and they pray. They pray. That's the final part of this passage. I urge you, brothers, by your Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I might be rescued from unbelievers in, in, in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. I find that just really, really interesting. Paul's asking for prayer and for two things. Physical safety. Man, there's a bunch of people out there ready to get me. Pray that I will be rescued and kept safe. Pray for my physical safety. Would you pray for our physical safety? I mean, we're just flesh and blood people. Pray for our physical safety, particularly Melanie. I think when she was here, she shared with you her, her work in, in, in the, the ministry in Guarari. It's a, a neighborhood of Nicaraguan refugees. Um, here's probably what she didn't tell you. It's the most dangerous neighborhood in San Jose. They have to come pick her up from the ministry to take her down there because oftentimes taxi drivers won't go in there. Sometimes you'll catch one that will, but many say, nah, I'm not going down there. My wife goes there regularly. Would you pray for her safety? My safety just as I travel a ton. Pray that God keeps me safe. And pray that God gives spiritual favor. Physical safety and spiritual favor. I mean, that's what Paul said to pray for him about. Pray that I'll be protected, but pray for spiritual favor, that my work in Jerusalem as I take this offering back, pray that God honors that. So that it's not just me, but pray that God honors that. Tomorrow afternoon, I've got to call into a, a radio program in Florida. It's going to reach all of South Florida. And there's an opportunity for me to share the ministry that we're involved in of the Bible Institutes. And, and the guy that's, that's doing this radio program is wanting to put this ministry out front. He's heard about it. He's, he believes in it. He's sold on it. And he wants to put it out there so that we can possibly raise some funds to support some of the Bible Institutes. Would you just pray that tomorrow afternoon from 4 to 5 as I'm on a telephone call and on a radio program, would you pray that God honors that? That there's spiritual favor that gets visited upon that? Those are just simple categories, aren't they? Physical safety and spiritual favor. You have a part to play in God's eternal purposes. You can share and you can pray. That's not my thing. Well, could praying be your thing? Thing it. Pray. Pray. Reminders are good. And again, you haven't heard anything today that was new, was revolutionary, but just reminders of stuff we need to know. Romans is a reminder. The reminders are important. God reminds us to remember. So my question for you is this. How am I reminding myself? How am I keeping myself reminded of what I need to remember? Worship. Worship is important because it reminds us of what's truly important. 
You see, when we come in here and worship, what are we doing? We are going, yes, God, in your faithfulness, your capacity, what we sang about this morning, your ability to help me in the midst of my struggle. It's all about God. Worship reminds us of what's truly important because when you step outside of these walls here today, you're going to encounter a world that is not all about God, and they're going to tell you that other things are more important. Making it is more important. Your portfolio is more important. And it's not that making it's not important. It's not that having a good portfolio is, is, is insignificant. No, it's just not supreme. Worship reminds us of what's supreme. Teaching reminds us of what's true. How many lies can the world tell in one day? And you know what? The only way that we're going to be reminded of the truth is when we expose ourselves to the truth. And the way we expose ourselves to the truth is putting ourselves under the teaching of God's Word. It's not insignificant. It's important because we need to be reminded of what's true. Worship reminds us of what's important. Teaching reminds us of what's true. Community reminds us that we're not alone. That's why we need one another. That's why the church is what God established. He didn't establish little islands and solo things of individualism. Get in a church because that's where community is. And it reminds you you're not alone. And then service reminds us that we're priests with the privileges and the responsibilities that come with being priests. You're capable you're responsible. You're a priest. You are a sacrifice. Who will you bring as a sacrifice? Take advantage of God's reminders and don't forget. Don't forget. Your Connect card has just a couple of ways you can move toward action either an attitude or with something concrete and tangible. Just two I will statements in your card there. I will remind myself regularly of spiritual truth, blessings, and responsibilities. I will take advantage of available opportunities to grow in grace and knowledge. I will make fewer excuses and make more effort. I will involve myself in the spiritual disciplines of service and giving. I will search for ways to give of myself by using my spiritual gifts, and I will search for ways to give my resources to advance kingdom purposes. Thanks for the opportunity to share a reminder. God bless you.